Welcome to SLAS Technology Podcast. I'm David Pector. On today's podcast, we have Dr. Amar Basu joining us. He has two review articles that are going to be in the special issue, SLAS Technology on Micro and Nanotechnologies for Quantitative Biology and Medicine. He's an associate professor in the Electrical Engineering and Biomedical Engineering Departments at Wayne State University, where he's director of the Microfluidics and Bioinstrumentation Lab. Actually, there are two review articles under the heading Digital Assays, Part 1, Partitioning Statistics and Digital PCR, Part 2, Digital Protein and Cell Assays. Welcome to SLAS Technology Podcast. Thanks, David. It's a pleasure to be here. So these are terrific reviews, very instructive. My impression is like you're getting ready to write a textbook. I mean, this is, you know, it's very educational. And I think it's an intriguing name. So what are digital assays and how are they related and different from single cell biology, for example? So a digital assay, the way we're defining it is an assay which determines the existence of a molecule or not. So a digital assay has a zero or one answer. Either the molecule exists or it doesn't. And I'm saying molecule, but the digital assay can be used to detect a biological entity. For example, it could be a molecule like a, a nucleotide, DNA. It could be a protein, and it could be a single cell. So why are people doing uh, digital assays right now? I think it's a very interesting area, and uh, you mentioned that the review articles cover a broad scope of different types of assays because this area is growing quite rapidly right now, and it expands through a vast scope throughout all levels of the biological spectrum. So, for example, I think the best way to describe what a digital assay is is to compare it to a more of a traditional conventional assay. So most folks who are listening to this podcast have probably performed some type of either spectrophotometric photometric assay or a fluorometric assay. So let's take example ELISA. In an ELISA, you have a cuvette, and you want to measure the concentration of proteins in that cuvette. And conventional analog assay will equate the amount of fluorescence emitted from that cuvette to the number of molecules or the concentration of molecules in the sample. So this works great when you have a large number of molecules in the sample and you can basically measure the concentration. But what if you actually want to count individual molecules in the sample? This is where digital assays becomes useful. So in a conventional, what we could call an analog assay, you have a cuvette and you have your sample in the cuvette and you want to measure the concentration of the sample. And so what you would typically do, let's say if you're using a a fluorescent assay, is that you would have some type of fluorogenic substrate or uh, fluorescent reagents that will generate a fluorescence, which is proportional to the concentration of the sample. So this is great when you have many biological entities in the sample, but what if you actually want to count the number of, let's say, the number of proteins in your sample? So this is an example of where digital assays becomes really useful. A key step in digital assays is partitioning. And this is what all the assays that we describe in our review have in common. You take the sample first and you partition it into tiny containers. And it could be thousands of containers. It could be up to a million containers. And there's so many containers that, on average, each container has either zero or one biological entity, let's say a protein. Now you perform an ELISA on each one of those 
individual partitions. And so those partitions will generate fluorescence if the protein was present. If partition was blank, then there will be no fluorescence generated. And you can, at the end, count up the number of fluorescent partitions you have, and that gives you a count of the number of proteins in your sample. So this is really digital counting instead of measuring a concentration. What are the biggest advantages that these digital assays provide? There are many advantages that are making digital assays quite popular right now. The review article talks about digital nucleotides or digital PCR for detecting nucleotides, digital protein assays for detecting proteins, and I think the last one is the digital cell assay. So I think we could talk a little bit about the advantages of each one of those areas. So in digital PCR, the goal is to quantify the amount of a specific nucleotide sequence that you're looking for. You know, if you look at real-time PCR, for example, the way that it's done is that, again, you have your nucleotides in a cuvette, and you put your PCR reagents in there, and you thermal cycle it until you see a fluorescence. And the number of cycles that it takes to achieve a certain level of fluorescence, that is then equated to the number of molecules that you started off with in your sample. So real-time PCR has been has worked excellent. It does have single molecule sensitivity, but one issue is the precision. So it takes a certain number of cycles to generate uh, detectable fluorescence. The precision with which you can equate that to the number of molecules in the sample, you know, it could be typically twofold or more. With digital PCR, you're counting the number of individual molecules, so your precision starts to become much better. And you can detect as little as a 10% change in DNA copy number from one sample to another. It also prevents you from having to generate a standard curve, which is one of the processes that is quite time-consuming in real-time PCR. Now, it also has this advantage for detecting rare mutations, right? If you, I guess you use a different floor for that. How, how do you pull out one rare mutation? Oh, that's a great question, and that is one of the big advantages of digital PCR. We talk about this in the first part of the review article. There's something called an enrichment effect. So if you imagine that you know, one of the problems with PCR is inhibitors. All right, the inhibitor could be a specific chemical. It could also be a wild-type sequence, which is in a much larger proportion to the mutant-type sequence. So the, the key to this is partitioning. Let's say you take your sample and you partition it among 10,000 different partitions. So your sample gets distributed among those 10,000 partitions. Some of those partitions will have zero of the nucleotide of interest, and some of them will have one. So some of your partitions will have zero concentration. Other ones will have a very high concentration. This is what happens when you partition the sample. Now, the same effect will happen with your inhibitors. You're distributing your inhibitors among all those partitions. So what happens is that some of those partitions may have a higher concentration of inhibitor than other partitions do. Now, the magic of the digital partitioning is that the probability that a partition has your sample of interest as well as the inhibitor is a smaller probability. That, in effect, enriches the sample from the environment. And when you have a higher concentration of sample, that ultimately will improve your PCR efficiency. So, like anything new, there are trade-offs. So what are the biggest barriers and limitations that researchers will run into if they're running an assay digitally as opposed to, say, on a microplate in bulk, if you will, even though that bulk could be two or three, ten microliters, but it's much larger scale than what are the volume of these partitions typically? 
a typical well a typical partition might have volumes of nanoliters down to picoliters but so the actual sample size that you start off with will be in the 20 microliter range so what are the limitations and barriers that people would run into i mean they, this isn't the kind of thing where they can say oh, that's it we're done uh, with <laughs> the analog uh, assays we're going digital you know like with electronics so much is digital but not everything so uh, what kind of things would people need to know that, well, they, there are certain kinds of things maybe they won't be able to address with digital assays? Yeah, a, f a few things come to mind. Um, first of all, there's always the, the technicalities of the partitioning process. Now, fortunately, a lot of the commercial devices for digital PCR, digital ELISA, and even some of the digital cell assays by companies like BioRed, Quanterix, and uh, 10X Genomics, they take care of the partitioning process for you. But that doesn't mean that, you know, it's very easy to just, you know, d develop a digital assay from scratch. For example, if we take digital part PCR, a lot of the commercial systems use droplets for partitions. Okay, so there are droplets of water in oil. And in order to stabilize those emulsions, you have to use surfactants. So you have to have the right chemistry of surfactants on the interface. And those surfactants and the chemistry of the water-oil interface can sometimes interfere with your assay. The same thing could happen in digital assay devices that don't use emulsions, but they use tiny nanowells uh, that okay. are fabricated on a chip. You have a very high surface area to volume ratio, so there's always this probability that your uh, molecule will absorb to the interface. You have to have the appropriate blocking chemistry so that those molecules don't absorb and potentially interfere with the activity of, say, if you're doing an ELISA or a digital enzyme assay, you know, those proteins could actually attach to the surface and denature. So you do have to be careful about that. It's not a. It's not always a, just a straightforward thing. Okay. You know what? Um, I realized the misconception that I was operating under is that somehow those partitions they were going to have individual external samples brought into them. For instance, if you have a 1536 plate, you'll have each well is going to have a in a high throughput screen is going to have a unique sample. But that's not really the way this is working. The way it's working is that each combination of, let's say, the biology and, say, a compound is being tested using multiple partitions. That single experiment, which would be in a well, is actually then partitioned into millions of little wells, and they create the digitization of the experiment, if you will. I keep imagining that we're going to have little samples injected into each one of those little wells, but that's not going to happen. In other words, like, for instance, if we had 100 compounds to test, they'd each need their own million partitions to run their experiment. Yeah, absolutely, David. So what you're talking about is the issue of throughput. In a digital assay, you take one sample gets partitioned into many containers, and then you have to perform yeah. the assay on each one of those containers. So yeah, let's yeah. say if you, if you have um you know if you have 100 samples you have to do 100 digital assays and each one of those assays has to be partitioned into however many partitions is needed typically between you know 20,000 or more. So throughput can be an issue. Typical a digital PCR system might be able to run 8 samples at once. Whereas if you're I running see. a conventional real-time PCR screen you would be able to run 96 samples on a 96 well plate. Yeah, okay. And they do have 1536 PCR plates now. Okay. They do. You're interrogating new biology. You're doing things which really aren't addressable through analog assays. 
it's not about just redoing what is already being done. It's, it's new stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely. If those new capabilities weren't there, I think that we wouldn't have the excitement around digital assets that we have today. Uh, let me just touch on the, you know, we talked a little bit about digital PCR. The key advantage with digital protein assays, and this is something that's being worked on by companies like Quanterix, is that they're able to detect proteins at almost three orders of magnitude lower than traditional ELISA. So, you know, the excitement wow. around that is that it's possible then to detect really low abundance biomarkers in, say, serum samples. And this obviously has a lot of value in clinical diagnostics. For example, if you're trying to do early disease detection, uh, one example that they have shown, is they did this study in mice, but you're able to detect prostate-specific antigen at levels, you know, very low levels in serum, and you can detect that before the tumors actually start to become visible in radiological screens. So I think one of the most exciting areas of digital cell assays is single-cell transcriptomics. So, you know, right now when we do single-cell sequencing or single-cell transcriptome analysis, we are getting a metagenome. So we're getting the sequence of all the cells in the population, and there's no way to differentiate the transcript of one cell from another. By encapsulating, by co-encapsulating the cells with these uh, barcoded beads, we can actually, in a single sequencing run, we can get single-cell transcriptomes from thousands of cells at once. And this is an incredibly powerful tool for biologists for looking at single-cell heterogeneity. Before we end, can you tell us uh, more about your path in research and the environment at Wayne? Sure. I've had, a, I've had an interesting path, I think. I'm actually from a background of electrical engineering. I did my master's degree, is, my master's and bachelor's is in electrical engineering with a focus on microelectronics. And then I did a master's degree in biomedical engineering and biotechnology. And then my PhD was in microsystems engineering which is a very multidisciplinary area. And um, I did my PhD at the University of Michigan at the Center for Wireless Integrated Microsystems. And, and fortunately, it was a really nice place to see a variety of different projects related to microsystems in, in a variety of fields, ranging from medical implants to uh, environmental detection and so on. So I think that interdisciplinarity did impact me. And you know, working on systems, building systems is really what I get most excited about. You know, if you look at the field of microfluidics and instruments, uh, you know, especially the types of products that you see at SLAS, they involve not just fluidics, but they involve every aspect. They involve optics. They involve electronics. They involve fabrication. Right, right. They involve data analysis and software. The thing that I've really enjoyed in my experience is that I've been involved in all aspects of those things. So one of the things that we like to do in our lab is, like, we, we work on systems, and we actually work in different areas you know, all the different aspects of that system. For example, some of our more fundamental work in microfluidics, which is mainly supported by NSF, has to do with different phenomena in multiphase microfluidics or droplet microfluidics. And droplet microfluidics are commonly used in digital assays. So we've, for example, we've invented some uh, a technique called optofluidic tweezers, a method to manipulate droplets using light. We're working on a technique called tensiophoresis, which is, you know, akin to electrical electrophoresis, the movement of charged particles under the influence of an electric field, well, we're working on a technique where droplets migrate under the influence of an interfacial tension field, and it can be used to sort droplets by size and to even detect proteins in droplets. And we're also working on a droplet memory device as a way to store, you know, akin to a large microplate where you can 
store and remove reagents from each well. We're working on a memory device which allows you to store and remove reagents into a large array of droplets, could be 10,000 or more. So a few of the examples of, of projects that we're working on in my lab right now. And like I said, a lot of our projects are interdisciplinary. One of the things I do like about Wayne State is that there's a lot of collaborators at our medical school that are, you know, very willing to work with us. You know, one interesting fact about Wayne State is that it's the largest single-campus medical school in the country. It's been around for quite uh, quite some time. There's, uh, It's the home of the perinatology research branch. So one of the projects we're doing right now has to do with doing genetic testing in fetuses uh, in, a, in a safe, a non-invasive manner. So, yeah, there's been a lot of examples of having collaborations with folks here at Wayne State. So it's, it's a nice environment to be in. I want to thank Dr. Basu for joining us on SLAS Technology Podcast. This is David Pector.